Hello, friends. It's great to be with you today, sort of be with you. I want to say happy 4th of July weekend. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want you to know that I love you. I'm praying for you, and I'm excited to open the word with you today. Uh, I, I loved getting to hear from Amy and Miriam and, and their story about being sent out as they're preparing to be sent out as missionaries from our church. just want to encourage you to support them uh, and to learn more about what God is doing um, in the mission he's calling them into. We are in a study on the book and the life of Daniel. We're calling this Faithful Living in Fragile Times. And I want to invite you this morning to turn to Daniel chapter 4. It's a fascinating chapter that we're looking at. We're, we're looking at it over a two-week period. Last week, Christopher started um, chapter four, and we looked at these two scenes from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. We'll look at the last two scenes of his life today. And it's interesting, the majority of chapter four is not written by Daniel, but is instead written by the king who captured Daniel and took him off into exile. Now, the prevailing theme throughout chapter 4, and, and we began this discussion last week, the prevailing theme in chapter 4 and in the king's life is pride. And what we're getting in chapter 4 is his testimony about how his life moved from pride to humility. And I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar would sum up his story with this sentence. He would say, humble yourself before God or God will do it for you. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most powerful, and I would argue one of the most prideful people to ever live, and he gives that sobering warning to his reader. And his testimony here is about the most humiliating thing that ever happened to him. And yet in his testimony, yet in that sobering message of humble yourself before God or he'll do it for you, Nebuchadnezzar says that with a smile on his face. It's an ironic part of the story. Back in verse 2, he says, I'm, I'm so excited to tell you my testimony. He says, I'm so pleased to tell you about how God humbled me. And we get to witness that today. So just to catch us up a little bit, uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a dream that the king has. And it's a dream of this cosmic tree that extends over the entire earth. And in the dream, an angelic being comes and cuts that tree down. Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel in to interpret the dream. And, and Daniel, to make a long story short, says, King, you are that tree. And we pick up the story here in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 4. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. 
Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this the great Babylon? which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. We're going to pause there before we finish this story. What we talked about last week was this reality that God is actually opposed to pride. God opposes the proud. And we see this all over the Bible. But today what I want to get what I want to get at is the is this question why is God opposed to pride There's many reasons why God is opposed to pride and we're going to look at two of specific reasons today and and what I what I think Nebuchadnezzar shows us is he shows us the truth about pride of why God is opposed to it And then at the end of our time we'll learn a different way forward So the first truth about pride is that pride leads to injustice. This morning I want to talk about the injustice that comes from pride. And the reason I want to talk about that is because that is the thing that Daniel calls out in the king. God opposes pride because it so often leads to injustice. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom has been built on oppression and injustice. It's been argued that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, is one of the top five most powerful rulers in the history of the world. And that power came from conquering nations and indoctrinating their people, turning nations into little Babylons. That's actually what is happening in um, in God's in the lives of God's people, and in particular in Daniel. Daniel is actually oppressed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so what's happening in the king's life, and this is a common theme in his life, is the king is having dreams that are actually tormenting him. He can't sleep. He's afraid of these dreams that he's having. On the, on the one hand, the king is at ease and prospering, but on the other hand, He's a tortured soul because he is not in right relationship with his maker. And he can't get relief. And so he calls in Daniel to interpret the dream. Now, I think what the king wants is he calls Daniel in to interpret his dream is the king wants a sense of reprieve. But Daniel calls him to repent. Break off your sins, he says. Practice righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed, to the people that you have oppressed, O king. He says, be just. Show mercy. Repent of your ways. Now, this is the role of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's not just to tell the future, but, all, but to call kings and authorities to exercise justice. And what I believe this passage is telling us is that underneath injustice, is the sin of pride consistently throughout the scriptures. And just type type Bible verses about pride into Google later today, and you'll see a long list of the evil sins that are the result of pride. 
Thomas Aquinas and, and Augustine, two of the most influential theological minds in the history of the church, both agree that pride was the essence of sin. Perhaps you've heard of the concept of the seven deadly sins. Of the seven deadly sins, pride is considered to be the foremost. And we see pride in its effects all over our world. Behind the evil that is systemic racism stands pride. Behind the sin of human trafficking stands pride. Behind corporate greed is pride. Behind the spiritual abuse of power in the church stands pride, corruption, greed, lust, anger, envy. Behind all of these sins stands pride. And God stands opposed to pride. Daniel warns the king, he says, you are the tree that will be cut down. But if you humble yourself, if you repent of your sins, if you practice righteousness, if you show mercy to the oppressed and stop ruling unjustly, perhaps God will lengthen your prosperity. This is the warning we get in these passages, in these verses we just read. And then our story simply flashes forward 12 months later. The king has been warned, but he is still ruled by his pride. It's interesting that the passage goes straight from this warning from Daniel, this call for repentance, and flashes forward 12 months later, and the king is standing on the roof of his palace, and and did you notice what he says? He says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, my might, my power, my glory, my majesty, The king, instead of giving us just a a definition of pride, and there are many definitions of pride, he just shows us what it looked like in his life. My might, my power, my glory, my majesty. He looks out over his kingdom, and he's worshiping himself. But his kingdom has been built through injustice. The seed of that injustice, I believe, is pride. And God hates pride for many reasons, but because it leads to injustice. Here's the second truth about pride, and it continues us on into the story. The truth about pride is that pride leads to insanity. Pride leads to a form of insanity. I just, before Before you freak out by that statement, I just want to read the rest of this story to you. And I want you to listen to what happens, starting again in verse 31. This is as Nebuchadnezzar is is talking about his might, his power, his glory, his majesty. In verse 31, we pick up the story. It says, while the words were still in the king's mouth, as he's saying this, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. All that was prophesied would happen to him is is now happening. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most 
high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now listen to this. At the end of days, now we're back listening to the voice of Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason, many translations use the word sanity, my sanity returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, listen to this, my reason or my sanity returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Did, did you notice that it is literally in the moment that the king is worshiping himself? Literally, as, as he is glorying in himself, he loses his mind. There's a very strange thing that happens, but he's been warned to him. It's been warned to him that this would happen. The king is driven out of his kingdom. He lives with animals. He lives like an animal. His hair grows long. His fingernails start to grow like bird's claws. And this lasts for seven periods of time. Now in the scriptures, the number seven is a number about completion. And so what, what the scriptures are telling us here is that actually God is executing judgment in the life of the king. So this could have been seven months it could have been seven seasons, which would be about a year and a half. Many believe that this state of insanity lasted seven years in the life of the king. Now, now I know that I said that pride leads to a form of insanity, and, and I understand that that doesn't always sit well with us. So let me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that underneath every form of, of mental illness or un, underneath every mental health challenge is an inherently prideful person. In fact, some of the most humble people that I have ever met and that you have ever met suffer from mental illness. So I'm not making a blanket statement about mental illness at all, but I, we can't get away from the fact that in our story, the king is expressing his own pride that is in his heart by, by worshiping himself. And as he does that, he loses his mind. And what I want to say today is that pride does that to us. It's a spiritual principle. The king goes from superhuman status and power to a subhuman existence. And that's his testimony. 
He goes from top five most powerful person at the time, certainly the most powerful person on the earth, but in the history of the world, top five most powerful person to living like an animal in subhuman existence. Pride destroys sanity. And we've all seen it. We've seen its effect. As a pastor, I've sat with men who rationalize to me through their pride why they have every right to walk out on their family. And when I hear these stories, what I'm thinking is, you've lost your mind. But pride does that. It leads us towards a form of insanity. One of the great ironies about pride is this. When we think of ourselves to be more than we really are, we become less than we really are. And that's why God stands against pride. It doesn't just cause us to dehumanize others, but we actually dehumanize ourselves. And that's what's happening in the life of the king. He's like, I got to tell you about my moment of humiliation. And then something happens in his life, though. And we can put it in a word, humility. Verse 34 tells us that as he turns his eyes to heaven, it's a biblical expression of humility, to look to heaven. He looks to heaven, and it says that as he looks to heaven, his reason or his sanity returns to him. And what does the king do? He begins to worship the one true God, the most high God. He, he sings out this song about the dominion of God being everlasting and how the kingdom of God will endure from generation to generation. The king realizes that no other kingdom can say that about itself. Only the kingdom of God will endure into eternity. God's kingdom has no end. And so as he worships himself, he loses all sanity. But as he worships the one true God, his sanity returns. That's why God stands opposed to pride. I love the way the story of Nebuchadnezzar ends in verse 37. He says this, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And listen to this, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The king says, I wouldn't humble myself. And so God did it for me. But what I want to tell you today is that it doesn't have to be that way. His story doesn't have to be our story. It's not enough just for me to get up here and say, pride is, is, is so terrible and you've got pride and I've got pride and, and we're all doomed. No, there's, there's another way forward. And we learn it through Jesus. Jesus teaches us a new way to be human. How does God defeat pride and sin, and death, and the devil? Through humility, through the humble birth, through the life, and the death, 
and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, the true king. So I want to talk with you this morning as we end our time. I want to talk with you about the practice of humility. And, and, and this is not a suggestion. This is something we must learn as God's people. How do we actually humble ourselves? How do we find a new way forward? It's not an exhaustive list, but I, but I think it's an essential list. And the first thing that I want to call us to this morning as a community is what I'm going to call humble asking. Each one of us needs trusted people in our lives that love Jesus and that love us. And we need to ask them this question, where do you see pride in my life? The most humble people that I know are are the ones who know that they have blind spots. So they ask their roommates or their spouses, even their children, "Where, where do you see pride in me? When do I start to get defensive? When do I puff up with pride? It's an, it's an active way of forming accountability in our lives, of holding ourselves accountable to people in our community group, in our house church, in our small groups, in our river groups, in our men's groups. It's asking, humbly asking this question, where do you see my pride? Of course, we ask this question to God in prayer. But God wants to send, I would argue, God wants to send Daniels into our lives who will call us to repent. The king, I believe, wanted reprieve, but God wanted repentance because God is after the king's heart and God is after my heart and your heart. So he sends Daniel. And and what I'm saying is, let's find our own Daniels in our community. We heard earlier um, the story of of Amy and and Miriam, two missionaries that are are preparing to be sent out. They're a part of our young adult community, which I'm a part of. And just last week, Miriam was talking to our, our young adult community, and she said, part of my, she said this, she said, part of my preparation to go out into the mission field is to seek reconciliation in my own life. It's to reach out to people that I know, even, even people that, that I've hurt, and to, and to ask them, where have you seen pride in me? She shared with our community, and she gave me permission to share this with you, but this, these last few weeks have been incredibly humbling for her. As she prepares to step into God's calling in her life, she does that, by humbly asking people, where do you see pride? Now, here's what I'm saying. That should not just be in preparation for ministry or mission. That should be normalized in Christian community. Where do you see my pride? When do I get defensive? It's in that humble asking that we become humble people. So that's the first thing. The second is this. Humble listening. It's been over a month since we witnessed the brutal death of George Floyd. 
And the Sunday, shortly after his murder, I was sitting in my living room for church. And at this point, we'd begun to encourage you to safely gather together on Sundays for worship. And so Anne-Marie and I invited our friend Martha over. Martha's our, our neighbor. She's our friend. She's a sister in Christ. She's a part of our River West community. We love her. And Martha is black. In her, in her early 20s, she immigrated from, from Kenya, and uh, she spent half of her life in Kenya, half of her life on the West Coast. And so we're sitting in my living room, and the service on the screen ends. And I can, um, the service on the screen ends, and, and we're sitting in my little you know, suburban living room. But outside, all over our world, all over our nation, it's, it's on fire. And so I, I asked her, I said, Martha, tell me, how are you doing right now? And it wasn't an impressive moment. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know how to ask the question. So I just said, how is your heart? And for three hours, my neighbor, my friend, my sister in Christ shared with me and Anne-Marie her pain, her anger. In her fear, we talked, well, she talked. She talked about what it's like to be a black person in a predominantly white community, in a predominantly white church. We talked about her fears in raising her two young boys, different fears than I have for my sons. We talked about the different kinds of conversations that she has with her 10-year-old son, Luke, and the conversations that I have with my 10-year-old son, Judah. And as I listened to my friend's pain, in that moment, a holy moment, God broke me. And he humbled me. And it wasn't about shame or humiliation. It was the spirit of God in community. I didn't have anything to offer in that moment other than listening. And this is what I believe, church. Listening leads to humility. Humility leads to greater unity. I heard someone say recently, you can't stand with someone that you haven't sat with. And so church, I implore you to practice humble listening. As a community of Christ, I'm not talking about what news channels you should watch. I'm not encouraging you to, I'm not encouraging you to engage in what we see on Instagram of, of virtue signaling or the call-out culture that is Twitter. No, I'm talking about listening to hurting people. Hearing the cry of those who are oppressed. 
Listening without defensiveness, without counterpoints, without data, without rebuttals. Becoming a humble listener because that leads to unity so we can stand and move forward as the body of Christ together. That's what we're learning as a church community. The third thing is this. The third thing that we need to practice as we learn humility is what I want to call humble communion. If you want to learn humility, take communion. This is perhaps the thing, this is the thing that I miss the most since we haven't been able to gather in our building together. I miss being in the sanctuary right over there and if I'm leading worship or even if I'm just a Sunday where I'm just part of the congregation, I, I, I so miss watching the long lines of people walking together towards the table. It's a living metaphor. Each week for the church of Jesus all over the world, People from every ethnicity, from different backgrounds, people who have walked with Jesus for 60 years or 60 days, young and old, black and white, with one voice declaring this truth, if it wasn't for Jesus. Every week, every single week, we fight the pride that rages in every one of us by worshiping our humble king. Maybe you've heard us um, encouraging you that on Wednesdays and Fridays, we have communion elements that you can pick up here at the church. And the reason we're encouraging that is because humility is, is we learn it each week. We practice it each week when we come to the table. And it grieves me that we can't do that together in our sanctuary each week. But we know that some of you are gathering in, in house church communities on Sundays. We know that some of you are gathered just as a family together in your living room. We know that some of you may be gathered by yourself. But we need this practice in our lives as we learn the way of Jesus, which is the way of humility. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to we're going to pray and then we're going to worship together and I'll come back and and we'll take communion together as a way to move forward in humility. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for your son Jesus. his life, his death, his resurrection, his humility. In him, you are teaching us the way. And so God, I pray that each one of us with humble hearts today would surrender to the one true King, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We worship him today. Amen.